be looking there, and as you turn there, if you could just listen to me, and I know that the first responders, most of them have had to exit, and we are thankful that they did. Not that we don't want them to be here, but they are on clock, and we're thankful that they sacrificed their own time, their own energy, to give that sense of peace that we get to experience. Uh, Those of us who have ever called on first responders know that you need them, and they are there exactly in the moment that you need them, are they not? And I just wanted to take another opportunity to tell you this morning that we are a church that is in full support of our first responders. And the church said, why is that important? Because that's not how our country feels all the time. And that is not how all our country will feel. Matter of fact, and whoever thought that we would be in a position as a nation where we would actually be questioning the integrity of the men who put on their uniform every single day. Where are we as a nation? I mean, seriously, but that's why we picked today. And, it, and the reason that we pick today, which is the second Sunday during the month of September, is because it's the closest to September 11th. And I know that we do have uh, Brother Dana that's with us this morning. I think you're the only first responder that is here right now. I wanted to let you know we have not forgotten. And we will not forget, amen? We're gonna continue to remember this coming Wednesday, September 11th. And I hope that you will take just a moment out of your time to thank the Lord for our first responders. And thank the Lord that they are there just in the blink of an eye there to respond to our very needs. They're so selfless and and their sacrifice, it is a great sacrifice that you and I could never begin to imagine and understand. We're not just talking about sacrificing your physical life, although I am thankful that they do that. They sacrifice their families. How many of you, uh, you either know of someone who is a loved one or, or maybe you're even married to someone who's a first responder? Maybe you're married to someone, let me ask it this way, if you're married to somebody or somebody in your family who serves in in the active military, what does that do to you? To know that your loved one and, and, and know that they are putting their lives on the line, it eats you up alive, I guarantee you, every single day, more so than it could, uh, we could ever possibly begin to imagine. I, I'm thankful for the occupation that I have. I'm thankful to serve here, but can I tell you something? I don't put my life on the line every single day. I don't put my life on the line, and my wife, although we, uh, we don't live a, a, a super luxurious life, we don't actually have it bad either. But I can't even begin to fathom and imagine the sacrifice and the level of selflessness that it takes to put your life on the line every single day. And the reason that we chose today, and the reason that a couple of months, not months ago, but a couple of years ago, the staff got together and we decided to have First Responder Sunday and continue to have it is for twofold reason. To show our first responders we love them, and number two, to show our community we're with them. That's why it's so important. The reason we picked it again is because of September 11th, 2001. How many of you remember where you were that day? How many of you, again, as Brother Jeff mentioned, maybe you have sore memories of just looking on the TV and watching as the Twin Towers burned to the ground? I'd like to read to you this morning those events that took place on September 11th. On September 11th of 2001, at 8.46 a.m., Mohammed Ada and other hijackers aboard American Airlines Flight 11 crashed the plane into floors 93 through 99 of the North Tower of the World Trade Center, killing everyone on board and hundreds inside the building. Amongst the chaos, just 17 minutes after the first plane made its impact, hijackers, hold on a second, Hijackers crashed United States Airline Flight 175 into floors 75 through 85 of the World Trade Center's South Tower, killing everyone on board and hundreds inside the building. Once the second plane made its fatal incision on the second tower, it became abundantly clear to every American watching that this was no mistake, that our nation was under attack. Only moments after the World Trade Center was hit, at 9.37 a.m., hijackers aboard Flight 77 crashed the plane into the western facade of the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., killing 59 people aboard and 125 military and civilian personnel inside the building. 
after passengers and crew members aboard hijacked Flight 93 contacted friends and family and learned about the attacks in New York and Washington, they mounted an attempt to retake the plane. In response, hijackers deliberately crashed the plane into the field of Somerset County, Pennsylvania, killing all 40 passengers and crew aboard. A high-ranking Al-Qaeda detainee told investigators later that the intended target of United States Airlines Flight 93 was the White House. For the first time in history, the FAA grounded all flights over and bound for continental United States. Some 3,300 commercial flights and 1,200 private planes are guided to airports in Canada and in the United States all, uh, all for over the next two, two and a half hours. And then on uh, uh, at 8.30 p.m. on that night, President George W. Bush addressed the nation calling the attacks evil, despicable acts of terror, which is exactly what it was, and declaring that America, its friends and allies, would stand together to win this war against terrorism. The total number of lives lost that day was just under 3,000 and over 7,000 injured. As the smoke continued to fill the air and with threats of more attacks still a possibility, Brave men and women chose to put on their uniforms and enter into ground zero despite the risk of physical injury or potential death. Our eyes were glued to the television as we watched our nation's finest heroes sacrifice their own well-being to ensure the safety and security of those affected by these violent attacks. In our country's darkest hour, without prompting, they rose to the challenge and made our nation proud. It would be Impossible to try to describe the level of sacrifice it takes to put on the uniform daily and lay, lay your life on the line and go above and beyond for the call of duty. However, with all the words available in the English dictionary, I think that the closest we could come to summarizing what these brave men and women provide through their selflessness and sacrifice would be one simple word, hope. Hope. They provide hope. Hope for the single mother who works two full-time jobs and got a flat tire on her way home from two classes at business school. Hope for the grandmother as she watches 50 years of her husband's memories burn into flames. Hope for the father whose heart isn't nearly as strong as he thought it was one afternoon on a run with his son. It's not always pretty. There are times that their sacrifice goes unnoticed, but at the end of the day, when you need them most, they are there to provide hope for the communities in which they serve. Could we just for one more moment, and I know that they're not in here except for Mr. Dana that's with us, but could we just give them a hand one more time for the hope that they provide for our community? Amen. And I don't think that we understand and, and again, can begin to comprehend just the peace of mind that we get to experience, but it comes at a great cost. It comes at the cost of brave men and women like we saw here this morning that will give of their lives and give of their all, and they're doing it for one reason. They're doing it to provide us hope. Hope. That's a great word, isn't it? It's a beautiful word. Hope is a word that gives hope. We're gonna talk about that this morning. It appears three times in our text in Colossians chapter number one. Now I want you to understand something. I'm a man, uh, a youngest of four children, and any time, and I've given illustrations about my father, so those of you who have ever heard me preach before and give my father as an illustration, you know this. Uh, when my dad said something more than once, that meant you better pay attention. How many of you can testify? 
I better obey the first time. The second time is a courtesy. The third time, I could just see his belt coming through midair, just coming and laying on my backside. Whenever my dad would say something more than once, it was because it was very important. And when the Lord repeats himself in Scripture, do you know this? It's not because he's forgotten what he said. I mean, it's the Lord. So we could deduct this, that the Lord repeats himself in Scripture to draw our attention to something that is very, very important. So let's look. He wants us to understand in Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 1. This word that he repeats three times, you'll see it appear uh, appear in our text three times. Read with me in verse number one. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints. Pause for just a moment, and could we just, by way of introduction, I want us to notice a few things. Notice the pairs that take place that Paul uh, so articulately addresses in the beginning of Colossians chapter 1. Verse number 1, it says, Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother. So you have Paul and you have Timothy, verse number two. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. In Christ, which are at Colossae. He gives the geographical location, that is Colossae. But then I love it, he gives their glorious disposition. They are in Christ. We could say it this way, this morning, if you name the name of Christ, we are in Christ, but we are at Wooden Valley. You understand? We are in Christ, but we are here in Bothell or Woodenville. We are in Christ, but we are at this physical location. I'm so thankful that your geographical position may change, but aren't you so thankful that your disposition in Christ never changes? If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Glory to his name. Keep reading in verse number two. It says, grace, look at this, grace be unto you in peace. We love that word peace, don't we? How many of you want to experience peace? You want peace in your marriage, you want peace in your home, you want peace in your school, we want peace in this church, we need peace in our nation. And we would all agree on this, even if you do not profess the Lord Jesus as your Savior and you discount the word of God, everybody wants peace. But did you notice, when the Lord Lord draws things out in Scripture through divine inspiration, he never has done so by accident. Everything that is written in Scripture is done for an intended purpose. And the Lord intended to lay things out in this divine order. You cannot experience the peace without the grace. You must experience the grace before you can experience the peace. Look at what he says in verse number three, two things that he does. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. He thanks God for them, and then he says he's been praying for them. Pause for just a moment, little commercial. You ought to, don't make Brother Jeff a liar, you ought to be faithfully praying for your first responders and giving thanks for them. When you see a first responder, take opportunity to let them know, hey, Wooden Valley Baptist Church and myself, we love you, we appreciate you, we thank you, and we pray for you always. He gives thanks for them and he prays for them. Look at verse number three again. He says, we give thanks to to God uh, and uh, and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Did you see that? He says, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can I remind you of something blessed this morning? That every single good gift and every single perfect gift cometh from above. It cometh from God the Father through Jesus Christ. And we get, nothing, we get nothing in and of ourselves because we deserve it. I hope I don't discourage you or pop your bubble, but if you think for a moment that you deserve anything from God, you are sadly mistaken. We are, we, we are destined for hell, and not only are we destined for hell, but we deserve it. That is exactly what we deserve. Why? Because of our infirmity and our sin. But every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above, including the gift of salvation, Jesus Christ. 
It comes through the son. Why? Because he loves us. Don't lose sight of that fact this morning. And because he loved us, have you become so, so mundane in that statement that you just kind of just throw it off? Jesus Christ loves you. That's a big deal. No one says amen. Okay, I'll just speak to myself. Jesus Christ loves me. Jesus Christ, God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. I don't care about you. He did it for me. He did it for Lamar Art. Keep reading in verse number four. It says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have in all the saints. Again, I won't take time to labor on this, but notice the divine order. We cannot experience the love without the faith. That is contrary to what the world is going to try to teach you. We are all about love, aren't we? At the neglect of the faith. Faith and love. And with all of that in mind, and, and with all of that groundwork, we come to the first appearance of our word. And it comes in verse number five. For the, what's that next word? Can you read it with me again? For the, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before the word of the truth of the gospel. There's that word, hope. It appears at second time in verse number 23 of our text. It says, if ye continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the, read it with me, hope. Be not moved away from the hope. But did you notice that it's not just any hope? It's not just any hope. Hope is actually pretty easy to come by in the world standards, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, but it's a very specific kind of hope. It is the hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel, if you continue in faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which, is, um, uh, which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. It is the hope of the gospel. That's the second time it appears. The third time is in verse 27. Read with me. It says, to whom God would make known that is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. What mystery? Which is Christ in you, the what? Hope the hope of glory. And as I mentioned just a moment ago, I think we would all agree that we are in desperate, desperate need of hope. Our families are in desperate need of hope. We are hopeless in our families. Our schools, oh, I could park here and I could talk about the agenda that is taking place in our public school movement. A pastor preached on it just a few months ago, but listen, I'll, we'll just sum it up by saying it this way. Our public school system is hopeless. It is hopeless. Our nation is hopeless. Our nation is hopeless, and I don't want to bleed into a message that I preached a couple of months ago, but just so you know, the hope will not be found in November of 2020. Did you hear me this morning? The hope for our nation in the, the, the debacle that we're in and the mess that we're in is not going to be found in the coming election. It won't be. We all long for hope. We all need hope. Someone once said, youth is a waste, manhood a struggle, and old age despair. What a cynical, what a cynical, uh, a sad way, a sad perspective of looking at life. But can I tell you something this morning? Absolutely accurate. Excuse me? Absolutely accurate. Youth is a waste. Manhood is a struggle and old age is despair. That is exactly what life is without Jesus. And those of you who are beneficiaries of grace this morning can say amen. Life without Jesus, we could say it this way, hopeless. Hopeless. And my choir members are going to laugh. I'm not an English professor. I struggle with words. English, it ain't my favorite subject, okay? 
I struggle with English, but can I tell you something that I, I noticed was the definite article that is found in verse number 23? There's a definite article, and I want you to look at it with me. What does it say? It does not say a hope. It doesn't just say hope. What does it say? The hope. The hope. There is only one hope, and his name is Jesus Christ. There is only one hope, and we cannot go any further in the message until we would all agree with me this morning that this hope is a singular hope. That is, again, contrary to what the world is going to try to teach you, but this hope is singular. But I had no idea that you were going to read that text this morning, but in Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12, what does it say? Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, Allah, it doesn't matter what religion you want, want to face after or follow after, there is one hope, and his name is Jesus Christ. And if that doesn't sit well with you, you know what? You can talk to me in the foyer, and that's fine, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to point you to the word of God, because that's exactly what it says. This hope is a singular hope. John chapter 14 and verse number 6 says, Jesus saith unto him I am the way the truth and the life no man cometh unto the father but by baptism no man cometh unto the father but by good works no man cometh unto the father but if you come to church three times a week no it says no man cometh unto the father but by who me that is Jesus Christ this hope is singular the hope of salvation what a beautiful hope it is can only be found in one person Jesus Christ hope you must understand that Jesus Christ is the only hope of salvation so very simply this morning, we're going to go over a couple of things about this beautiful hope that we get to experience as believers. So if you're taking notes very quickly this morning, number one, I want you to write this down. Our hope is in heaven. Our hope is in heaven. Look at verse number five again with me. For the hope which is laid up for you in where? Heaven. You're not going to believe this. I mean, again, I'm not very smart. I had to do a lot of research, a lot of research, and I spent many an hour studying on what this verse was, was to mean. And I thought about some, having somebody that is far more educated than I formulating some sort of really, really deep theological explanation. You're not going to believe it, but you know what that means? That means that our hope is not here, it's in heaven. <laughs> deep theology. Welcome to Wood Valley Baptist Church where we get deep into the Word of God. No, 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 seriously. Our hope is in heaven. And I was so glad to sing that song just a moment ago. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Now I have a hope that will surely endure after the passing of time. I have a future in heaven for sure. And we laugh because of the simplicity, but where do we put our hope? I mean, seriously, where do we put our hope? We put our hope in relationships, don't we? All the time we put our hope in relationships or put our hope in money or fame or the pursuit of happiness. Can I tell you something? The pursuit of happiness will let you down. The pursuit of money will let you down. Do you know a person? Has he ever let you down? People let you down. Money will let you down. Fortune will let you down. Fame will let you down. My hope is a secured hope, and it's found in heaven. Philippians chapter 3, Paul puts it this way. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Do you understand that in the vocabulary of Paul in that day, that was a very strong word. I'm not saying that he was cussing, but I am saying he intentionally used the, the, the things that were of this world for a reason. He used that word to draw attention just to the, the filth and the vileness of the perfection, or the, the pursuit that we have and all these different things. Again, the money and the fame. He says, it's all dung that I may win Christ. It's all dung. In other words, your job, it's dung. Your 401k that you're saving up for, your retirement plan, retirement plan dung. Your family, dung. Your relationships, dung. Everything without Jesus Christ is worthless. That's what he's saying. Can I tell you something this morning? I love my family. 
I really do. I love my wife. I love my son. My little girl going to be born any day, and I, I'm just counting the seconds. I cannot wait. Actually, I take that back because she was almost born this week. Wait. <laughs> we want to wait a few more weeks, but figuratively speaking, I cannot wait. I love my family more than anything on this earth. My hope is not there. I live right here on the church property. Some of you don't know that. I live on the church property and every day I get to wake up and I get to look at this beautiful white building and I get to call this building my home. I get to call it my job. I get to work at Wooden Valley. I've been here for almost five years and every single day it's still new and fresh to me. I cannot believe I get to serve here. I love this place. I love all of you. I could name you by name, most of you, and I could say I love you and I love you and I love you, but you don't have my hope. You don't have my hope. If I had money, I'd love it too. <laughs> but that's not where my hope is. That's not where my hope is. You know where my hope is? Heaven. My hope is in heaven. Notice with me the term that he uses again in verse number five. I want you to just draw attention to it. It says, for the hope which is, two words, laid up. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. You know that's a banking term that he uses? It's a banking term, a term that he would use frequently in scripture that we'll find in the writings of Paul. Laid up for you. It's almost just like he's saying your hope is deposited into the bank of heaven. How many of you hate dealing with banks? Can I tell you something about Heaven's Bank? It's secure. Heaven's Bank is secure. As we sang just a moment ago, now I have a hope that will surely endure after the passing of time. I have a future in heaven, wishfully. No, for sure. The bank of heaven is a sure thing. It never changes. The year was 1912. There was a ship that was sailing in the Atlantic Ocean on April 14th of 2012, the unsinkable Titanic was sailing, did I say, what did I, what did I say? 2012, it was recently, just a few years ago, no, 1912, I'm sorry, 1912, there was a ship that was sailing on the Atlantic Ocean, we know it as the Titanic, and the Titanic was sailing, and this was the ship, by the way, that they said could not be sunk, God himself cannot sink it, by the way, don't tempt God. They say that in the wee hours of the morning, there's not exactly an accurate time frame, but in the wee hours of the morning, it struck an iceberg that it did not see, and the unsinkable ship that God himself could not sink began to sink to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean, and some 15,000 people, over 15,000 people lost their lives that day. Only 700 were rescued, and amongst those that were rescued, or excuse me, amongst those that lost their lives, they began to retrieve the bodies, and some of the bodies did not have identification on them, so what they would do is they would put a number, one, two, 75, 85, 95, all the way up, and they would begin to put a number, and they would tie it on the left toe, uh, excuse me, the big toe of the left foot, and they'd lay them on the shores, dead bodies. One of those bodies, number 78, later was discovered to be Robert Bateman. How many of you have ever heard of Robert Bateman? Just a few people, great. So most of you, this is gonna be new to you. Robert Bateman was a Christian. Robert Bateman knew about this thing of hope. Robert Bateman had called on Jesus Christ to save his soul, and the morning before this took place, the morning before he met his, uh, met, uh, he w uh, cast off into eternity, or passed off into eternity, this is exactly what he did, was he wrote a letter to his cousin, not his cousin, his, uh, his nephew that was there in Ohio, his name was Corey, wrote a letter that morning, sent it off, everything transpires, he sinks to the bottom of the ocean, and he loses his life. And arrangements are made for the funeral. Corey is in attendance. They mourn the loss of their uncle. They mourn the loss of, of this Robert Bateman, the great Christian, and Corey returns back to Ohio, and to his surprise, he goes to the mail, and the letter had arrived of his late uncle. And so obviously, he quickly uh, goes inside, gets the letter opener out, and he opens it, and he reads the letter, and it said something lines of this. Dear Corey, I am enjoying my time aboard the great Titanic. They say that this is the ship that God himself cannot sink. 
But if for some reason something were to happen to me and you were to find my remains on the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean, there you'll find my body, but you will not find my soul because I will be resting at the feet of my glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. You know what that is? Hope. That's hope. Can I tell you something this morning? We don't need an earthly hope. Mm -mm. We don't need an earthly hope. We need a heavenly hope. Can you, can you look with me over here real quickly? You gotta look close. It's over here. It's on this side. Over here. If you need your glasses, you're gonna wanna put on your glasses, okay? Look very closely, and it's right here. Can you see it? I need an answer. Can you see it? No, look closer. It's right here. Right there. That's the day you were born. For me, it was December 3rd of 1992, the greatest day in history when Lamar Ard graced the presence of humanity. No, I'm just kidding. December 3rd of 1992 was the day that I was born. For you, it might be a different date, obviously, but this is the day that you were born. And just, I mean, just a hair, I mean, just, just maybe a half inch over, that's the day you're gonna die. The day that I'm, a, I'm gonna die. You say, I'm never gonna die. The Bible says, think not what is on the morrow. You don't know what hour the Lord's gonna come. You don't know at what, uh, what hour eternity is gonna be required of you. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. None of us know the day. But the Bible says that life is but a vapor. It appears for a brief time, a brief time right here, and then it vanisheth away. The time you are born is right here, the time that you die. And then let's just follow it over here. Come, on, come with me over here. You gotta be quick. Gotta be quick. Over to this side over here. And let's go right here. No, let's go back here. Okay, come, come, come with me. I have not run this morning. <clears throat> and so we're gonna go back here. And back here, actually, no, let's keep going down over here. Other back. Forgot that door was locked. Let's go this way. We could come around here, and this is eternity, and I could run around circles around this building over and over and over and over again. I could run around the state of Washington. I could run, man. I could run around the state of Washington over and over again. I could run around the state of, the, uh, excuse me, the, the globe, the world in which we live in, the planets. I could go over and over and over and over again. I could not properly articulate or begin to illustrate just how long eternity is. Does that not put it in perspective? I can't even illustrate it. We cannot in our finite minds fathom just how long eternity is. Why are we worried? Why do we consume ourselves with laying our treasures in this small little blink of time? We are so consumed with what happens between this dot and with this dot, but we neglect and we negate everything that happens for all of eternity. That's where you'll find most of humanity. It's just a vapor. It appears for a brief time, vanisheth away. Lay not up for yourselves treasure, is it, uh, treasures in heaven where moth, where rust, where, where thieves. I got, I got robbed two weeks ago. Thieves break through and they steal over here, over here, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And the greatest treasure that you could ever lay up for yourself in heaven would be this, eternity there with your Savior, Jesus Christ. Where's your hope this morning? Where's your hope? Mine's in heaven. Secondly, if you look with me, our hope is not only in heaven, our hope is also in him. Our hope is in him. Look at verse number 20 with me, if you would. It says, And having made peace through the blood of the cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, I, uh, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Man, I love that word. I read it this morning as Chip texted me and he said, we're reconciled unto God. Uh, you're reconciled, verse 22, in the body of his flesh, death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Hold on, that does not describe me and you. Holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. 
How many of you are sinners this morning? So how, how could a sinner, how could someone that is so, so uh, perverse and so blamable and so provable be unblameable and unprovable in his sight? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, and it's, it's in his name. Keep reading in verse 23. If you continue in faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from, here's my word, the hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel. Can you see him there? Jesus Christ hanging on the cross some 2,000 years ago on Calvary. He was there for you and he was there for me. And as hard as Hollywood has tried, they could not even begin to depict and to illustrate just how gruesome that massacre was that day. They said that, uh, that, that crucifixion was the worst way to die. He was maliciously murdered. The very act of crucifixion was, was, was malicious, but the way that they treated Jesus was even more so. More so. They beat him with a cat of nine tails. They put blindfolds on him, and the Roman soldiers would take turns punching him, and they'd mock him and say, hey, if you're a prophet, prophesy where this next hit's coming from. And they'd punch our Savior, punch our Savior, spit on his face. They spit on his face. They laid him on the cross. They did not put him on the cross while it was up. They laid him on the cross, the culture says, and they nailed him there. Then the Roman soldiers would lift him up and they would drop him in about a three-foot drop where the cross would go and all of the weight that was on his hands and on his feet would jolt where things would go out of joint, maybe even internal bleeding. It was a gruesome death. They put nails uh, excuse me, a crown of thorns on his head. And it wasn't like these little blackberry bushes that we got around here. I'm talking big, thick thorns, no doubt they drove. I even heard one commentator that it was not uncommon for those who had the crown of thorns placed upon their head for it to be lodged into their eyes where they could not see. Mocked him. Hail Jesus, King of the Jews. They put a spear in his side. They put a spear in the side of my Savior. And the Bible says, in his fulfillment of prophecy, the water pours out and then the blood. And he died. He died the most gruesome, horrible death in history. Why? Hope. <laughs> hope for me and hope for you. That's exactly why Jesus died. He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have called a legion of angels to come and to whip everybody up, but he didn't. Why? Thinking of Lamar Ard on that cross. Thinking of Alex. He was thinking of Brother Olzak. He was thinking of Miss Rebecca. He was thinking of us. While he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Again, again, he could have called 10,000 angels, but he didn't. Why? Hope. He did it for hope. Let's go to another one of Paul's writings in Romans 8, 24. Would you turn there with me? Romans chapter 8 and verse number 24. I'd like us to read it together out loud. <clears throat> Is it on the screen? Can we read it together aloud? When I say begin, you begin. Ready, begin. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? The word hope in our text is found three times. In this verse, it's found four times alone. Would you say that this word is important? But let's, let's be careful in defining what hope is because actually let's do this. Let's do what my wife hates. Let's define what it is not. You're welcome. Here's what hope is not. <clears throat> and here's what the world will tell you that it is. It's a wish. It's a wish. It's something that you can long for. It's something that you can really, I mean, if I cross my fingers and I really hope that this thing will work out, just maybe, just maybe, just maybe it might work out in the end. That is not the hope of the Bible. That is not the hope that Paul's clearly lined out in Colossians and in Romans. That's not the same hope. 
Hope is not a wish, it is a sure thing, it's a guaranteed thing. Again, I keep referencing the song we just sang, and I didn't even plan it, and I'm the music director. But they, they, they coincide so beautifully because our hope is a sure thing. And it's a transforming thing. The hope of Jesus. Uh, how many of you, uh, you'll, you'll remember this name, Paul Hansen. Just think about it for a moment. I'll describe him, big beard, bald. Remember Paul? Paul is now a member of Berean Baptist Church there in Puyallup. He moved over to Bonnie Lake, so if you didn't know that, he didn't just drop out of church. He moved. God moved him somewhere else. And uh, I was the first person to meet Paul Hansen. Paul Hansen came through the double doors of Wooden Valley Baptist Church in November of 2017, walked in. The first thing I saw was this big old glorious beard. It was a beautiful thing. Come on, man, help me out. Was it not a thing of beauty? It was awesome. Just a big old black thing. You know, you got the levels where you got Moses, and then down here you've got like a wizard, and then you got like a lumberjack down here. That was him. He was like just big old beautiful beard. That was awkward. I spent way too much time talking about his beard. It was awesome. Anyway, Paul comes in, and he's bald. Kind of an introvert guy. Those of you who know him know that he's an introvert, but he's actually very brilliant. Very smart, very educated man, knows how to talk and, and obviously has a great education. And Paul came through the doors, and I'll never forget that day. He comes, and I said, what brings you here? And he was kind of almost like he knew, but he didn't want to say what he was coming for. So he's like, um, I'm just checking it out. I'm just checking out the church. And I said, great, it's great to have you. Come on in. Came and sat towards the back there. Brother Chip was preaching that night. Brother Chip preached, and I could tell that Paul was under conviction, but Paul left. Paul came back that next Sunday, Sunday night, evening service, during November 2017, pastor was preaching. Conviction came on Paul. Paul knew he needed a savior. Paul knew he needed hope. Paul went back into this room, what we call the prayer room with Brother Chip, and he accepted Jesus Christ as his personal savior. And any time that somebody accepts Jesus Christ, it ought to be a hallelujah, by the way. We ought to get a little bit more excited about somebody who was once condemned that is not now, uh, now longer, no longer condemned anymore. That should be a big deal. But I did not know Paul's testimony till one year ago this month, no, uh, September of 2018. How many of you were at that men's breakfast when Paul Hansen gave his testimony? And when Paul began to give his testimony, I realized exactly how amazing, humanly speaking, exactly how amazing his testimony really is. And he doesn't mind me sharing this story with you this morning. Paul, by his own testimony, was a devout atheist. He was a devout atheist, but he wasn't just one of those atheists that just didn't believe in God. He was an atheist who didn't believe in God and also had a vendetta against everybody who did. You know someone like that that's so argumentative and all they want to do is tear you down? That was Paul's joy of life, was destroying the faith of a Christian and he could do it. This is his testimony and again, he's okay with me sharing it this morning, but Paul was in a relationship with his girlfriend and they found out that they were uh, expecting a little, little child later to found out it was a girl. Did not fit with their um, life plans and his girlfriend recommended that they go through receiving an abortion. They went through that process. And with tears in his eyes, as Paul is talking to all of us men, you remember, he said, I don't know what it was. I wasn't Christian. I didn't believe in God. But something went off in my mind that I had done something terribly wrong. My moral compass was out of whack. I don't know what it was, but it began a pursuit in Paul's life to find hope. Again, Paul is very smart. He's a very logicious man. He's a very educated man. So he went down the avenue of philosophy. And he read after some of the greatest philosophical writers in human history. Men who were so incredibly brilliant, but he realized really quickly, it's not there. My hope cannot be found there. Went down the avenue of science and Scientology. And he began to look at, again, some of the most brilliant men in history that I've ever written. And he realized really quickly, nope, they don't have it. 
went down the avenue of modern day religion and even looked into different occults and he was looking at the Catholic Church and he was looking at all these different religions trying so desperately to find out why do I feel this way? What can I do to make it go away? I am hopeless, I need to find hope. And he was reading a book, reading about some of these crazy wacko people in history called the Anabaptists. For those of you who don't know who they become, you're amongst them, the Baptist. And he read about how so incredibly crazy they were that they would literally be willing to be put to death because of the hope that they had found. And he said, I don't really know if this is for real and I, they're really big on this word of God and all I do know is all these other religions want to kill them. So he got on his laptop and he YouTubed Baptist preacher. Don't do that, by the way. <laughs> this is the bummer of the story is that the first thing that came up was world's most hateful preacher. You know who he's talking about. Don't, we don't want to go down that rabbit trail. But nonetheless, he's sitting there and listening to the guy. And he's like, man, I don't agree with a lot about what he's saying. But he's definitely passionate. And he's, he keeps referencing this Bible, this word of God, King James. Man, he's, I've heard King James more in his preaching than anything else. I wonder what Baptist church is like. Baptist church in my area. <laughs> Wooden Valley Baptist Church. Came in the doors of Wooden Valley Baptist Church. And this was his own testimony, his own words. He said, I don't know what it was, but the moment that I walked in the door, I realized this is where I can find it. This is where I can find that hope. This is where I can find what I've been longing for. And I can remove that guilt and, and, and that vileness and that shame. It can be re removed away from me. And at the point, he didn't know what it was, but he knew he could find it here. And on that Sunday night, Paul Hansen, Paul Hansen accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. And to this day, he's still in church and he's serving. Man, what would cause someone like Paul, a devout atheist, with all the things that I just shared with you, come over here and now have the testimony of being someone who is sanctified and redeemed? Hope. Hope. First, we notice our hope is in heaven. And then we notice that our hope is in him. Lastly, this morning, I want us to notice our hope can you look at me? If you're taking notes, I, I don't want to distract you. Write it down in a second. I need your eye contact. Our hope is in here. Our hope, Jesus Christ, is not only in heaven. It's not only in him. It is in here. Look at verse 27. Bible says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. What's the mystery? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Man, this King James Bible is so hard to understand. Probably should get a different version and break it out. Are you kidding me? How more clear could it possibly be? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Watch this. My hope is not just future, it's present. My hope is not just to come, it's already here. Listen, God is not just a past tense God. He's not just a God of the Bible. He's not just a God who was with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Paul, and all the prophets of old. No, he is here. He says of himself that I am. He is a present God. But he's not just present in this building. As my wife just sang just a moment ago, fill this temple. I'm not talking about these walls. It's talking about this temple, this person. Christ is here. Read it again. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let me ask you this question this morning. Is he in you? Is he in you? Do you have that hope? Do you have that hope, Christ in you, the hope of glory? Does he indwell you? You say, Lamar, that's kind of a funny question to ask at a Baptist church on a Sunday morning. Of course we have Christ in us. Can I tell you some, something very sad? 
and that is that our churches are filled with Sunday school teachers, our churches are filled with staff, our churches are even filled with pastors, our churches were filled with fathers and mothers and people, men, women, boy and girl, who know all there is to know about Jesus, but they do not know him personally. They know all the stories, and matter of fact, they could probably finish my sentences when I'm reading the word of God, but they do not have Christ in them, the hope of glory. Do you have that hope? Do you know him this morning personally? Is he in you? Do you have Christ in you, the hope of glory? We're done. We're, we're finished. But can we go on a journey real quick, a quick detour? We're going to go back 2,000 years. It's going to be a long time. You're going to get your feet dirty. Two men. I want you to envision. How many of you are very visionary people, okay? I need you to help me this morning. I want you to picture two men. Two men that are walking down a road, a little old dirt road, and each one of them are carrying something in their hand. It's a letter. It's rolled up a scroll. You go to the one as he's walking, and he's got a big smile on his face. Man, he's beaming ear to ear. He's almost like skipping, you know, like walking down this dirt road. Hey, well, hey, what are you doing, man? Oh, how's it going? I'm Tychicus. Nice to meet you. Why are you so happy? What's that in your hand? This? It's a letter. I'm so excited. We're going actually over to Colossae. Colossae, I've been to Colossae. You go to see the sights and the sounds and live the city life? No, 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 no. I got a different mission. You see, this letter, there's a church there in Corinth, uh, or excuse me, in Colossae that I'm gonna go and deliver this letter to. And they're so excited to read about the letter. As a matter of fact, we're meeting in someone's house this week and we're gonna meet and we're gonna read the letter. We're all gonna rejoice and probably read it over and over and over again. Man, that's a great story. Who's that with you? And if you could picture the second man, very different disposition than the first man almost a, a disposition of someone who is solemn and maybe shameful, maybe trying to hide behind Tychicus, afraid that the man's gonna see him and recognize him. Hey, you back there, who are you? Um, what's the matter, cat got your tongue? Can you speak, can he speak? Yeah, he can speak. Um, I'm, I'm afraid to tell you who I am. You might, you might recognize me. Well, go on, spill it out, who are you? My name is, um, my name is Onesimus. Onesimus? Yeah. I, yeah, I, I have seen, you're all over the papers. You're all over, you, you came, didn't you come from Colossae? Didn't you steal from your master? They've been looking all over for you. Matter of fact, they chased you all the way back to Rome. Man, you, oh, what are you, hold on, you're from Colossae, and your master's from Colossae, and you're going to Colossae, what are you doing? Don't you know that the moment that you walk foot into the city of Colossae, they're gonna hang you from the gallows? Yeah, all that's true. I did all those things, and I got to, I got to Rome, and man, I tell you what, I, I just wrecked my life. Got, got involved with the wrong crowd. I was living the nightlife and ditching guards, trying to avoid getting caught. And I actually met this same man that Tychicus met. His name was Paul. I don't know what brought me to do it, but I just told Paul what I had done, told him my story. And he got excited about it. And I was like, dude, what's your problem? That's, that's what the text says. Dude, what's your problem? What's the, what's the deal? Well, that's a, that's a great story. Are you kidding? That's a terrible story. No, 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 it's a great story because it's very similar to my story because I also was on the run. Oh, why were you on the run? Well, I wasn't necessarily on the run from the law, but I was on, I was on the run from conviction. And uh, actually, my story's a little bit worse than yours because I killed some people. I stoned some people. I murdered some people. I spoke some terrible, wicked, heinous things. But you're never gonna believe this because I also met a man. And that man is named Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ met me on Damascus Road, and I can tell you what, right now, my life has never been the same ever since then. 
You know Tychicus, or excuse me, you know Onesimus, the same thing that God or Jesus did in my life, he can do in your life. No, there's no way that he could save somebody like me. No, 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 because this hope is a sure thing. Let me tell you, Onesimus, this hope is a guaranteed thing, and it's a transcending thing. It's something that can cover all the sins that you've done, but this is the only hope that you're gonna be able to find. Man, that's a great story, wonderful, but you do realize that they're still gonna wanna hang you. Yeah, I'm willing to face it, though, because I have this hope that's within me. And uh, in my hand, I have a letter. It's a letter to, uh, uh, my, my, uh, uh, to my master, actually. It's called Philemon. And I'm gonna give it to him. And in the letter, you're not gonna believe it, but look here, it says that all of my debt has been paid. And all of my, uh, my, uh, all of my infirmities and all of my wrongdoings have been paid. And if there's any overages, Paul will handle it. So I'm gonna walk in, confident, hand this letter, as he hands the letter to the, uh, the people at Colossae, I'm gonna hand this letter to the person, uh, Mr. Philemon, and I really think that God's gonna bless. You know that's not a fic- fictional story that really happened? There's a man named Tychicus, and in his hand he was carrying a letter. It was called the letter to the church at Colossae. We read from it this morning. And do you know what that letter is? It is a declaration of hope to a people. It's a declaration of hope to a church that says, hey, we're all messed up, but aren't you so thankful for the hope that we found in Jesus Christ? But the other letter that he was, he was carrying that day, it's a little small sliver of a book that a lot of times gets overlooked. It's called the book of Philemon. It's in your New Testament. You know what that is? That's a personal illustration of hope and what hope did to a man in the life of Onesimus, and how that hope that Onesimus was able to be found, or that Onesimus was able to find in the hope of Jesus Christ, anybody can find it. Everybody can find it. And can I tell you something this morning? When we pass off into eternity, every single man, woman, boy, and girl will be carrying a letter. When we pass off into eternity and we face God our Father, we are all going to be carrying a letter, and it's gonna say one of two things, overdue or paid in full. When we look at Jesus Christ in his face, you can do whatever you wanna do, but if you hand him a letter and you give him all of the different things that you've accomplished, all the different things you've done, man, I've been baptized and I've done this and I've done this and I've done this, overdue. But the thing that separates the two is the hope that can be found that we read about this morning. It is the hope that is in heaven. It is the hope that is in him. It's the hope that's in here. It's the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So very simply this morning, let me ask you, where is your hope? Where is your hope? I've laid the groundwork. If your hope is any, if it's in anything else, save the blood of Jesus Christ, your hope is misplaced and you are still hopeless. Where's your hope this morning? Father, I pray that you'd be with us. Thank you so much for giving us the hope of the gospel. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die in my place. Lord, I'm so thankful for our first responders. And again, we are so privileged to have them in our presence this morning to draw recognition to their sacrifice and draw recognition to their bravery. But Lord, I am so thankful for the first responder that we find in our, in our text, Lord Jesus Christ. My sins, which were many, he forgave and forgot them, Lord. My infirmities, were lined up against me. And I think everybody would testify in here that they could speak the same of their infirmities and their sins. We're just a room full of sinners. But Lord, I pray we would all be a room full of sinners that have found the hope that is in heaven, that is in your son, Jesus Christ, and that is in our hearts. Lord, I pray 
that if there's somebody in this room, a man, woman, boy, girl, I don't know who they are, I don't know why they're here, I don't know how they got here, but I do know that they came to find hope. Even if they didn't realize it, Lord, I pray that they would find that hope, that singular hope that is only found in your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for salvation, Lord, and I pray that you'd speak to hearts this morning in Jesus' name, amen. If you'd